0: What is up guys, this is all the smoke on strength of physique with your hosts Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness.
1: Welcome back to all the smoke on strength of physique. We got another special guest, my man David Mathis. I remember this dude, what was it maybe four years ago when I was an undergrad, you came and visited Dr. Campbell's lab and I remember you and Lane Norton, Holly Baxter um i remember when this guy he just first started out and it's kind of cool to see you grow still got the same damn cubby's hat on which is terrible i feel it might sorry it not be the
0: same hat he might have yeah. bought <laughs> a few new
1: right but but it no, still I'm Cubs. Kidding. it still Cubs. that's my that's the point no, but it I is mean, what it is so why don't you david why don't you uh introduce yourself to our i think now we have we're up to six listeners now man so why don't you introduce <laughs> to yourself
2: solid guys it's a solid start right there um <laughs> Well, guys, no, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, Adam, it's been quite a journey, hasn't it, man? (laughs) Um, So I'm David Mathis, um, you know, strength and physique coach online, uh, master's in exercise science from the University of South Florida, which obviously your listeners are familiar that you guys are both in that program as well. Um, Yeah, I was an Army combat medic, um, you know, started four years to tour over in Iraq. what else about me? Uh, I'm about to have a little baby girl <laughs> we just talked about it off camera. So really, po- really stoked about that. And uh, other than that, just huge, huge fan of bodybuilding, powerlifting, um, sports in general, and just really out there to try to help people, help people uh, get the most out of their fitness and training. So, Gotcha. Yeah, man. I think one of the big things that I really
1: wanted you to have you on was um, obviously, you know, you went through a period of uh, a deep, dark place. Um, I'm pretty sure you have a book that was out. is still out, uh, bestselling author on Amazon. Um, and you kind of went into a little bit detail of that. Um, but why don't you go ahead and, if you don't mind, a spoiler alert of that book, go into detail of what, I guess, got you in that dark place and, you know, maybe walk us through how you got out and how you are currently
2: yeah no i appreciate you bringing that up um so the book's called a shell of myself um and basically got that title because that's a that's a pretty good summary of how i felt during that time i just felt like i just felt like I wasn't me i had a lot of stuff that kind of all came to a head when i was in the military um some stuff that i didn't deal with from years and years prior mentally uh never mentally and emotionally dealt with the proper way and it kind of all manifested into a severe eating disorder, exercise compulsion, um, which, you know, I was using the, the restricting of food. I was using the over exercising, things like that to combat, uh, you know, a loss of control that I felt. Um, not only because if anybody realizes when you go in the military, you, you really have to kind of ask to go take a piss. Um, so you don't have much control anymore over your, over your life. And that's kind of an exaggeration. But um, yeah, I kind of felt like. Like lost inside, and I felt like I didn't have any control over my life. I felt like mentally I wasn't in control of my emotions, my thoughts. Um, you know, started developing severe OCD and anxiety, and all of that kind of came to a perfect storm with an eating disorder that you know landed me in the ICU for uh, almost a month. Um, wasn't supposed to make it. They flew my parents up to base because. Literally, you know, I dropped down to 94 pounds. Uh, My heart rate was in the high 20s, like 25 to 29. Resting heart rate, resting heart rate. Um, Yeah, stats were not looking good. Stats were not looking good. Uh, Luckily, obviously, I'm sitting here today. I pulled through, but it was not an easy, easy struggle. There was a lot of denial on my part as far as you know, having an issue, um, which anybody who is dealing with eating disorders or any, any mental health issue. And that's really what the book's about is about mental health in general, because there's a lot of other things I touch on other than eating disorders that could probably help people as well. Um, But it was, it was a mental health issue that really accumulated from years and years of not dealing with my shit, like I should have. Um, luckily, you know, I had some people around me that were able to help me get help. Um, you know, the, the VA helped me get a lot of help that I need. I spent a couple, couple different stints in inpatient facilities, really just kind of working with therapists and, you know, getting my body up to a healthy, healthy weight. And, you know, there was a lot of struggles. There was a lot of you know, taking two steps forward and four steps back and then two steps forward and four steps back until eventually, uh, you know, I just didn't give up. I, I, I just decided that I had a purpose. I didn't know what that purpose exactly was yet, but I, I knew that I had something to give and I just put all my effort into it to getting healthy. And then I, when I got healthy, I started using my experiences to go back to school, get my master's, uh, pursue a passion that's been a passion of mine since I was a little kid, and try to help others not be in a position that I found myself in years ago. So
0: something I don't think I've ever asked or heard you mention, uh, obviously you're in a very, you're in a lot better situation than 94 pounds and high 20s heart rate. But a lot of people don't see how long that time frame takes. Uh, how long looking back at it, did it take you to get to that? Because obviously, when you're still 100 pounds, you were still uh, making progress. When you're at 100 pounds, 94 to 100 pounds, you were probably like, feeling better, you're like, wow, I'm good now. Um, but you weren't,
2: um, looking back at it, how long did it actually take? You know, you? that's, that's a, that's a really interesting question because, um, yeah, you'd look at like my stats and stuff and be like, yeah, he's, he's starting to feel better, but it was so mental for me that I did not feel better for a long time. Um, you know, honestly, it, it took about, it took you know, better part of about four years of, of in and out of, you know, inpatient facilities, um, outpatient facilities, working with therapists. And I would say it was around about 2015-ish when I felt like I was finally kind of, I, I was already like, I was kind of looking on the right direction, right? Like I had the right mindset, things were going going well in my head. Um, I had the insight and I had the want, to just continue to get better. I didn't have any, any desire to go back to my old habits. I didn't have any desire to feel like that anymore. So, you know, it was a better part of about four years, um, you know, to, to get that way. And and there's some things I talk about in the book that really were, there were roadblocks for me for a long time, more so than the eating and and exercise issues. It was, it was mental roadblocks, some, you know, failed relationships in the past, the loss of a close friend. Um, well, my parents divorced when I was a little kid that I didn't think affected me whatsoever, but it did. Um, some career, you know, not mishaps, but some unfortunate turns during my career in the military that I was angry about. Um, and those were the, those were the hardest things for me to overcome because the reason I say that is because those were the root of my eating disorder. So everybody, everybody wants to just kind of point to a food issue, right, or exercise issue, when that's just kind of the, the symptoms, right? So mostly everything. When I talk to people, um, when I've talked to people about my situation stuff, or I talk to them, they'll reach out to me about their situation. I say, listen, you might think it's like a body image issue or a food issue or something like that, and it very well, it very well might be, but I highly, highly doubt that's the root cause. And until you deal with the root cause, you're going to keep acting out those symptoms. And that's what I was doing is I wasn't getting to that root cause. And that's where the longest part of my journey came in. Once I got to that and I figured it out, I accepted it. I worked on the, the habits I needed to, um, started letting go of some of the OCD because I was clinically dosed with OCD, um, and, uh, general, general anxiety disorder. So those things, when I was able to kind of narrow in on those, start behavioral therapy, working on that exposure therapy, the rest of it kind of just came about, but it wasn't until I dealt with those mental issues I was having in the past until that started happening. So
1: now, what what are you know what are the type of things that you had to you know I guess you because obviously with that situation you're having to look yourself in the mirror, and that's a lot. That's really difficult for a lot of people to do because um, I think nowadays it's really easy for people to point the finger at somebody else, but then you know own it. Um, what are the type of ways that you had to almost like swallow? Was it more of an ego thing or what What was it? Because I always find that re- really difficult to kind of, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and be able to kind of self-reflect. And I think, you know, the year 2020 has allowed us a lot of free time to really self-reflect on, Hey, like it, maybe it wasn't that or this, it, it was me. And I think I'm, I'm a big believer of you can control what you control and we can control a lot more than we, really think of so what was it that really kind of that light bulb went off
2: yeah that's wow that's an excellent question and I'm glad you brought up 2020 because right when COVID hit is when I started writing this book I was literally I was I was in New York with my wife for our one-year anniversary we'd gotten tickets year you know months before we got in on the day that they shut New York City down for COVID so I'm sitting there walking around for three days. My wife couldn't do shit, right? We're just like walking around. Nothing was open. Couldn't do anything. And I'm like, you know what? Like, we don't know how long this is going to be. And I had this idea to write this book for a long time, but something was missing. Like it was never a good time. And I think I needed to go through and get married in order to write this. But the reason I bring that up is because when I got home and I started writing it, I started writing it end of March, um, and over about six weeks, I wrote this book and I was just a madman. I mean, when it's your story, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of let the, let the thing flow, you know, exactly where it's going, but it really made me pause and think about things that I hadn't thought about for years. Um, Cause I needed to get, I needed to get personal in this book and, or if I wanted it to be effectful, effective, I'm sorry. Um, like I was hoping it would be and still hope it will be. Um, I needed to do a lot of, you know, inner reflection and and see what caused this, what, what made me get to that point so much. I mean, yeah, you can point to the issues I had in the, you know, from a mental and emotional standpoint, but what was really, what, what made me stay in that stage? And I think a lot of it was fear. I think a lot of it was ego. Um, you know, being a man in the military, <laughs> you, don't, you don't talk about this shit. Like, it's just, you don't even know what it is. Like, honestly, you don't even know what it is to talk about. Um, There's a lot of perfectionism that came along with my issues because I'm a very type a personality. Um, I've always been competitive as hell my whole life. Um, And I was known as the PT guy in my unit, like maxing out PT tests. Like I was, you know, I ran a five. I mean, I think I ran a, what was it? A 10, a ten thirty two 32 mile time. Like I was, so when you are known for that. Um, there's like a standard. You, and you expect yourself to be yeah. there. Yeah. And so there's this perfectionism. And so like it was partly an embarrassing, like embarrassment. It was partly perfectionism. It was partly ego. Um, and it was partly fear that kept me there, um, kept me from reaching out and asking for help. But I will, I will preface this by saying when you are dealing with very, very serious, strong mental health issues, like an eating disorder, like depression, like OCD, anything like that, you don't really have this great perception of reality, right? So like I described it as my ther- to my therapist and I talked about it in the book a lot where there would be times where I felt like I was outside of my body looking down and like somebody was controlling me and I had no control over what I was doing. Like I kind of knew what I was doing was wrong, um, but I could not control myself. And and when you are in that deep of a a state, your reality is so perceived. Um, you know, you you said something, Adam, about you know, looking in the mirror. I didn't. I didn't look in the mirror. Like literally, I did not look in the mirror because I didn't want to see what I knew I was gonna see. And that allowed me to isolate, that allowed me to still carry on my poor habits. Um, things that I didn't want to let go of because I was so scared. I was so scared of these things that I hadn't dealt with this fear, this anxiety. Um, and I didn't want to look at myself and face the reality. And so I hid from myself and I hid from others. I isolated, I isolated from friends. I isolated when I wasn't with my unit, I was by myself, you know, drinking picked up pretty heavily. Um, I isolated from my family. I did not, Talk to them, did not see them because I didn't want them to, first of all, be afraid of what they would have seen. Second of all, I didn't want anybody to tell me what I was doing was wrong. Like I was, that was my coping mechanism was my habits, like my restricting eating, my exercising. I mean, shit, I talk about in the book, I, I would do like 1500 burpees a day. Like I would go to, I would go to the 24 hour gym on base at like two 30 in the morning, get home in time to go to morning PT with my unit. Like this is how far out of touch with reality that I was. Um, But I was doing all of these behaviors because I was so scared and not addressing what was really deep down, you know, affecting me. So.
0: And I mean, these are some great factors to point out. Um, But what are some big things looking back at it that you're extremely thankful for that really helped you through this whole process?
2: Um, family, um, no matter how much I, I pushed them away, they were always there. They were always supportive, trying to help, you know, when I was laying up in the hospital up on base, um, you know, it was my mom and dad that were fighting for me when I couldn't fight for myself. Uh, you know, they were in there talking to the doctors, they were in there talking to the therapists, trying to figure out how to get me help. Um, they never, never gave up on me. Um, and also you know, a few people from my unit. Um, I was really close with the people in my unit, and you know, there was a part of me there for a while where I was like angry, like why didn't anybody see what was going on earlier? Um, but honestly, it, it you just have to know the culture in the military to understand that it's like, you know, they didn't see what I was doing behind the scenes. Like I was still performing. I was still a great medic. I was still maxing out PTs. Uh, tests and everything. Like I was a good soldier. So they didn't, you just don't step on into anybody else's personal business like that. Right. And especially because I was hiding stuff from people, nobody knew there was like a real, real issue. Um, but there was a few people from my unit that really kind of, you know, I don't want to say, you know, butt into my life, but they definitely kind of pushed me to go to doctor. And and then my PA who was with us in Iraq was also, uh, you know, PA back on base. You know, he saw me and, and he sent me to the hospital because he knew something was wrong. So there's a few people like that, but mostly my family. Um, I wasn't really close with any of my friends at that time. You know, when you leave, when all your other friends are you know, early twenties, early to mid twenties, and they're, you know, getting married and having kids and you go off to the army uh, you kind of lose touch with them for a little while. So I was all alone up on base, except for a few close friends in my unit that really kind of had my back. So, yeah, man, I
1: think that's it, it's scary in a, in an aspect um, because I think even now nowadays, men were taught to you know shut up and just keep going. I was listening to uh, um, more than an athlete. I'm pretty sure it's called with Brandon Marshall and Ocho Cinco oh, and man. all them. Yeah, and they they just had a really good segment of. Right. As, as, you know, CTE and, you know, right. Or will you donate your brain? And, um, and they said that nature. And it was pretty much a segment of, will you let your kids play football? And they're like, right. You, we were just, before we were, you know, started this recording, you're like, man, I'm gonna let my daughter do whatever they want. As long as she's happy, I'm happy. Right. Um, and that's the, that kind of aspect was that, right. We're going to let our kids and let our people kind of go through what they're going through, because now this is who you are today. And you've inspired a lot of people because of what you've gone through, um, so I mean it, it's crazy that you've done that and I kind of like want to segue into r- right now what you do you you're a very successful online coach um, and like I said four years ago I, I four or five years ago I knew you as somebody that just wanted to do just wanted to do this and now here you are doing it and killing it Um explain you know I guess that journey because that's a journey in itself a lot of people that are aspiring online coaches think is going to happen like this um, I always have a conversation with my barber they have they always have these young barbers that they think, hey, they're going to get this huge clientele in two weeks. And my barber's like, man, it took me fucking three years to get where I'm at t- today.
0: Yeah, I, am, you know. I am a spitting image of it's not going to happen soon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, yeah, why don't you go? I mean, you, you went through all that. You rehabbed. You, you're here back at USF. You grinded to get to where you were with there. Why don't you take us through that process of, I guess, with USF and getting hired with BioLane and I guess maybe now where you are at today?
2: Yeah. So, uh, man, it's been quite a four years. I mean, and I kind of like break my life into chunks because like I had like my pre-military life, I had my military life, my eating disorder life, and then the next chunk after, and I would not be able to be sitting here today if it wasn't for the lessons I learned through all that other shit. Right. So that being said, that made me stronger. It made me weaker for a long time. But I use that weakness to make me stronger. And I would not have been able to go back and do my prereqs and, and you know, apply and get into the USF program if it wasn't for my experiences before. So, you know, in that aspect, I'm very thankful that I went through that. Now, it doesn't change the fact that my goal today is to not only have help, you know, nobody go through that issue ever again, right? Um, but to help people just obtain their best health and, and physique and performance or whatever it is they're looking for, right? But as far as the journey, you know, for coaching, so when I started kind of getting better, I guess, um, you know, I was watching a lot of YouTube. I, I, you know, the the issue with part of my eating disorder was that I have been interested in nutrition and training since I was a young, young kid. Like, so I, I knew a lot, but I wasn't in the right headspace to take advantage of it. Um, But when I got a little healthier and started recovering a little bit, started watching a little bit more YouTube. Um, this is 2013, 2014 ish time period. Um, still not fully recovered. Uh, because there's a lot of setbacks, but yeah, I started following more evidence-based researchers. That's how I found out about Lane. You know, I, I started watching his videos and, and his information helped me a lot. Um, it really did. You know, it didn't help me right away, but it kind of helped me along the way. And I want to say it was sometime around 2016 or early 2017. Um, I was I was about to finish up like the rest of my prereqs in order to apply for grad school. And I actually found a video 2016. I found a video of Warren Conlins on YouTube. I didn't know Lauren at the time. Now, Lauren's a great friend of mine now, but I didn't know her at the time. And... It was 17, 2017. So she was presenting at ISSN over in Clearwater and I was watching it. And that's when I first heard about USF, first heard about Bill Campbell. And because I'm like trying to figure out where do I want to apply for exercise science programs, right? I was thinking UF, I was thinking Georgia, I was thinking all these places. Um, I'm glad I didn't now because those are all more like clinically based, but that's a whole nother story. Um, so I'm like, holy crap, like I'm living in St. Pete at the time this place is like right in my backyard. Like I I didn't even know about this. So that's what got me interested in in USF a little bit more. Um, I was already going to USF St. Pete for my prereqs. So um, summer of 2017, I reach out to Bill, Dr. Campbell. and I just tell him, I just write him an email. I'm like, Hey, this is my story. Like this is what I want to do. I want to be a part of your program. What do I need to do? Right. And so you guys know Bill's so accommodating to all his students. Uh, he emailed me back right away. And he's like, why don't you come in and, and we'll talk and, and see what's going on. I was like, holy shit. Okay. So um, it was probably like a week or so later, you know, we had an appointment, I went into campus, talked to him, told him my story again, talked to him. I was like, listen, what do I have to do to be a part of your program? Like, like really my grades weren't like that great for my undergrad. Uh, you know, my grades for my prereqs were awesome, but I, I jacked around during my undergrad at indiana when i was younger but um he's like well you know he looked at everything. He's like well you know you definitely would be a good fit for our program i, I like that you're a veteran i like the story i think you have a lot of good you know good qualities that could help um and he's like well we've already kind of done the applications our class our new class is starting in about a month um but why don't you fill out an application submit everything maybe if someone drops out at the last minute, maybe you can get a slot. And I'm like, wow, this is like four weeks away. Right. So I rushed, 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 got everything together, submitted it. Well, unfortunately, nobody, nobody dropped out. I didn't get to go into that August, 2017 class. Right. But I said, listen, I don't have any more classes to take. I'm kind of just waiting around until to find out if I'm going to get accepted into the next class. What can I do? And he said, well, you know, you have your bachelor's, you can work in the Performance and, uh, Enhancement Lab, uh, just supervising, doing things like that, said, sold, I'm there. Uh, I just wanted to be a part of the program, one way or another. So about every day, I drove from St. Pete over to USF. Um, I did my couple-hour shift in the lab. You know, I'd stay and stay and lift and do all that. Well, during that interview with Bill, I had um, I mentioned to him that Lane was like a big inspiration, and, and he really helped me with a lot of his knowledge. And he's like, oh, well, he's a friend of mine. And I was like, wow, really? I didn't know. I didn't know Wayne lived in the area. I had no clue. And he's like, yeah, he comes in occasionally. So I'll let you know if he's going to, well, then, you know, that September or whatever it was, I can't remember, uh, what Adam was talking about at the very beginning when he first met me, um, you know, Wayne and Holly were coming in. Uh, Dr. Campbell, let me know. I drove over, met him. Well, I had sent Lane an email earlier that year, kind of just saying, thank you. You don't know me. Like, this is what you did for me. This is how you helped me. I was like, we may be, maybe never meet, but I just want you to know. Right. So uh, he responded in, to that email months ago and I, uh, it was just great. You know, he's like, thank you. That, that means a lot, all that stuff. Well, when I met him at USF, I, I was like, I'm the one that emailed you that email. And he's like, oh, wow. So we kind of talked a little bit and I said, listen, can I, uh, you know, that night I just emailed him back I said, it's great meeting you today. Can I buy you a beer sometime or a cup of coffee and just go kind of pick your brain? You know, this is what I want to do this is my, these are my goals. This is where I want to get to. And, you know, you really helped me a lot. And he emailed me back again and said, you know, why don't you come over to the house tomorrow? Um, We can talk for a little bit. It's like, okay. All right. wasn't expecting that. Um, So I went over there and, you know, it was, it was a time in Lane's life where things were pretty rough. Um, I won't get into all his personal stuff, but um, you know, he didn't, he needed a lot of help and I wanted mentorship and all that stuff. So, you know, I started working for him for free. I was uh, an unpaid intern for him for about a year. You know, I, I did learn the business of coaching, uh, obviously the you know, actual coaching process and, and, you know, what to look for, you know, every day we would go over different case studies of former clients of his and current ones that he was working with. Um, so I really got firsthand knowledge of what it takes to be a coach. And along the way, I started picking up some clients for free. Worked with people for free. Um, then slowly kind of 50 bucks, 75 bucks here and there. Gradually built it up to uh feeling comfortable enough and him feeling comfortable enough with me to take on more clients and stuff. And you know, for about a year and a half or so, it was just me, Lane, and Holly. No, it was just the three of us. You know, this was way before Contest Prep Guide came out, you know, any of that stuff. And Um, just really got firsthand knowledge of the coaching business, what it takes to be a coach, um, how to run a business, which is really crucial for a lot of new coaches out there. Like there's a lot of marketing and, you know, just business accounting and things like that. You have to take into account. It's not just about the numbers you're putting on the sheet. So, you know, really having that firsthand knowledge and then just kind of growing. And then the following fall, August, 2018, I started my master's program. So the first year they started the fast track program. So I actually ended up finishing in December of 19, which was great. But that whole time it was just building up clientele. And, you know, I got to a point where I was pretty much full-time coach while going through my master's program, um, learning how to use a lot of content from our lectures and things that we were going over. I would just turn that right into content right away. Like, and so that really kind of helped, I think, my reputation, not only being associated with Lane, obviously, but that I was putting out evidence-based content and, and really trying to help educate people. And not I said, I don't have any really impressive lifts. I don't have a super fantastic physique. I'm not going to be out there putting videos of me squatting 500 pounds. It's just not going to happen. So I found out what my strengths were from a very early on state. Um, and I just kind of ran with that. I, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I kind of stay away from that. Um, and just little by little over, over the last four years, it's just kind of turned into, you know, being able to support my family, um, being an, an online coach and, um, you know, getting to do things, meeting people in the industry, meeting connections. I mean, people that three years, two years ago, even that I like really looked up into the industry, like they're in my phone, they're friends now. It's, it's just, it's such an awesome industry when you reach out and you follow and make contact with the right people. You know, don't, don't just, don't just follow someone because they got a couple hundred thousand followers, right? Like find people that are actually wanting to make a difference. You know, all the people that I associate with in this industry all have one common goal. And that is to provide the best content and the best coaching for people to improve their lives. And that's kind of the motto I've always gone, gone off of with my coaching. Like first and foremost, I want you to be healthy. Secondly, I want you to achieve your goal. And thirdly, I want to get there in the safest, most efficient way possible. Right. Uh, so that's kind of how I approach all my, all my clients. So,
1: yeah. So, I mean, right you touched on a lot right there, man. And I appreciate it. It's always yeah, I
2: ramble a little bit. Yeah. No,
1: you good. No, that's, <laughs> no, I liked that's, it. I liked that's, it. That's, that's, that's what all the smoke's all about, man. Let that shit fly. So, um, but yeah, man, I mean, it, it's been cool. And one thing I've always looked up to you too, man, is you said content, man, like you you bang you bang that out um and i mean kind of give us a a description of what what it takes to kind of be so productive at you because it's every day i remember when you first started i was just like i would open up instagram you know first thing in the morning i was like there's david and i would always get you you, again it's appreciative because you're getting something out of it and like again you're respectful as in a way i know what you've gone through you went through the master's degree um i didn't know like all the other stuff that you've been through but again, you were something that walked the walk and just didn't talk the talk. Like you said, you want your clients to be healthy. And I I always say over my internship in undergrad, there is a time where I was like, man, stuff you're doing, you're just doing it because it sounds glamorous and it's a quick, easy buck. And you never were going to get that client back after those three months. And he never did. Um, so it's something, again, I, I looked up to those individuals that, you know, they walked the walk um, and not just talked the talk. Um, so give us a walkthrough of like, you know, how are you still doing it after four freaking years, still putting up daily content and quality content at that.
2: I'm not going to sit here in in line and say it's easy. (laughs) It's it's time consuming. All right. But you know, I'm, I think first and foremost, if you're going to coach and it's going to be your job, you, you have to think of yourself as a professional. If you don't think of yourself as a professional, then you're never going to do the professional things needed in order to grow. Right. If this is just like an easy way to make a buck for you, you're in, the wrong, you're in the wrong job, right? This is my main focus, this is my job. I, I put in 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week. Um, and when I'm not doing client check-ins or I'm not talking to potential new clients or I'm not writing new plans or anything like that, you know, I'm thinking about how am I going to provide value to those who maybe right now can't work with me for financial reasons or some other reason, right? but maybe down the road, they're going to want to work with me. Like I think about what can I do to better those people's lives right now to get them in a a really good position to then be in a great, great position to work with uh, with me down the line, or, you know, maybe that person never does work with me. Right. But understanding the purpose, why I got into this profession, which was to help people better people's lives um, no matter what. Right. And so I just always keep that first and foremost in my head and, you know, a lot of it is continuing to learn um, through studies, through just you know, every client I have is a new individual uh, case, and over the years you kind of learn what things maybe work and what things don't work, and then you just kind of stay up with the research and you find different ways to present information um, to new people. Because you know, listen, it's, it's social media; you're getting new people all the time, right? So you know, every, every so often you need to kind of circle back to I mean to make that joke, if anybody gets that. Um, (laughs) But um, you need to come back and realize that you have probably a a bunch of new people that are following you that might not have heard information that you talked about in the past. So it's about finding new ways also to present old information. Um, It's also about understanding what is hot at the time, right? So I, you know, keto is a big, big talk, right? Well, what are some different avenues that are, that I can present a post for or for against keto, right? What is some evidence that I can put behind it? What are some pros and cons? Um, I think with me, I also look at the mental approach to training, to nutrition, um, just to overall health in general, where, you know a lot of people that might not have gone through my situation they might not have a, a grasp on how important that is right so I try to find different areas and diversify it I also on my phone I've got notes of constant topics that are coming into my mind like I might not be able to finish it right there but I'm going to start a note and I'm going to come back to it later on and finish it and stuff so you know the content part I just feel is, uh, is part of the profession I mean we don't we're not back in the eighties. We don't have business cards. We don't go around, you know, putting our, our businesses and newspapers and marketing that way. Social media is our, is our marketing platform. And I really like being able to have kind of like a content calendar, right? So like certain days I've got blocked off, like I'm going to work on YouTube videos, right. Or I'm going to work on posts. Um, and then also, you know, scheduling IG lives with people to kind of cross across different genres of people in the fitness industry and just grow that way. Um, all that is so important. I mean, coaching is great, but what we put out there on social media, on Instagram, Facebook is our calling card. And I take a lot of pride in making sure that my calling card is professional. So but yeah, not, I think it's not always easy, though. It, it, it's kind of time consuming.
0: <laughs> no, it's and that's something that the, that's the hardest thing I've been trying to battle because I'm just getting into really focusing on it during grad school. I probably didn't put as much focus on it as I should have, but I, I was also going for strength and conditioning until about midway through the program. Um, strength and conditioning, like with like sports, not like individual Um but (laughs) you mentioned the content calendar and I'm taking a marketing course right now. And that was the big thing they talked about. And since I've created a marketing calendar, I feel like I've become so much more productive on making consistent content and posting more frequently.
2: And, you know, I think you and I have had this conversation before over, over messenger. Like you got to figure out what you want to be about. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and if you don't know what you want to be about yet, and I'm not talking about just you, Chris. I'm just talking- Yeah, no, about I got you. I got you. If you don't know what you are necessarily about yet, figure out what you're not about, right? Because it, it, that can really help you narrow down your little niche, right? I, I think people get into trouble with content because they try, to, they try to just spread it so thin. Like they try to touch on so much stuff. Well, you, it's so much better to- be a master in your little domain, right? The things that you are comfortable with, the things that you know about, that you can talk, you know, honestly about, that you can talk positively and passionately about. It's better to do that than to try to spread yourself so thin that like you don't really have any substance to your content. Um, you know, a lot of people out there are looking to be influencers. I, I can give a shit if I'm an influencer, right? I'm a coach, and if influencer comes along with that great right if if people see my content as like influencing them or you want to pull me in that category that's that's up to whoever's classifying that right but i see a lot of people out there that work so hard to be influencers that they they lose track of really what what the point of social media for a coach is and that is to provide substance that is going to help better someone's life um you know for the longest time I didn't know anything about like thumbnails. I didn't know anything about structure of that. I knew the content, right? I knew the body of stuff, but learning how to put attractive thumbnails together, right? And things that are going to catch people's eyes, things that are going to be simple and quick to help others enhance their fitness, their health, their nutrition, whatever. Um, that's something that's taken me a little while to learn too. And I'm still not the best at it. I don't make the best thumbnails, but it's a drastic improvement from when I started, you know, years ago. Um, and I think just really, really being willing to, to bridge across and to ask people to come on that maybe you respect or that you want to learn from that maybe your audience doesn't know much about yet. Like those things, um, has really, really helped me. I think a lot. Listen, I don't have a huge following. Like I don't have 20,000. I don't even have 20,000 followers. Like I don't care necessarily about the number. I care about how many people I'm affecting. It's a, there's a book or something. I, I can't remember what it's called. It's like, it, it's better to have a thousand true followers or something like that than a hundred thousand fake. I, I can't. Remember Quality what it's over like. quantity. Exactly. Um, And the people that I I have that follow me are very loyal. They're commenting a lot on my stuff, post after post, they're sharing it. Um, And it's just been great to see how that natural growth has happened over the last few years. Um, And just very appreciative of everyone who's ever commented on a post or shared it, um, or just messaged me and said, hey, this really helped me help my day. At the end of the day, if I get a message like that once a day, boom, (laughs) boom. it's made my day. So have you got one today? Um, you know what, actually I did, I just, but it wasn't, it wasn't from a post. It was from a a series of stories that I did talking about stuff. And they're like, you know what, this really helped. I needed this pep talk today. So that's awesome. (laughs) I actually didn't put up a post today. Sundays are usually the day that I kind of, kind of like my Sabbath. Like I try to try to just not do much. Um, you know, if it wasn't for this interview, I probably would just be I'm not doing much right now because I had foot surgery, but I'd probably just be out back playing with my dogs or uh, watching TV with my wife. So
0: (laughs) That's what I've tried to get into. And I think that's a big thing uh, if you're looking to go into coaching or if you're looking to do anything that requires a lot of time or if you want to be good at anything, you're probably going to spend a lot of time at it. Um, The biggest thing is, first off, I need to pay bills. So I'm coaching in person now, which takes up a lot of time because I got – I live alone. I got a decent amount of bills. I got a dog, although dogs are relatively cheap, they're relatively expensive as well. Um, so finding yeah. a way to manage my time is been the biggest thing, and that's why the, show, the content the content calendar has been so beneficial, yeah. is because it allows me to see what I need to do in what time frame, and since I started doing this marketing course, I went down from five days a week to four days a week in my in-person training. And that alone has helped my stress, but it's also freed up two days where I can 100% dedicate to like online content, making YouTube videos. Like it's just a lot of management that a lot of people don't think you probably will have to focus on, but it's huge. And right now uh, my three days off, I am trying to produce content but it's, I want to get to that point where I can at least have one
2: day just to completely de-stress. That sounds so nice. It's, it's important. Listen, I, it's taken me years to get to this point. Um, I mean, I was like, you. Yeah. like, listen, I mean, everybody starts with nothing and it takes, it's a slow build. Very few people start with like a, you know, a shit ton of clients right away. Right. Like it's, it's a grind, but it's important like what you're doing right now, Chris is important. What Adam, what you're doing right now is important. Like I learned so much more from going very slow from struggling, from not doing a good job at the beginning, Um, you know, at times I I learned a lot from those experiences and figured out and you're constantly evolving. Like even now I'm still constantly evolving. I'm constantly figuring out how to be more productive but you are gonna learn so much more from this process you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I work pretty much 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week. Like, you know, sometimes Saturdays are a little slower. Um, you know, I'm not working quite that much, but if need be, if it's a show day for a client, I am like, or I have multiple clients on a show day. Um, but setting boundaries for not only yourself, but with your clients is so, so important. Um, my clients know I listen. If I can, and if I get to my email on Sundays, I'll answer it, but they know, and they respect boundaries. They respect the fact that I take a day and just unwind with my family and be with my family. And it makes me a better coach. Like if you're always doing something, you're going to be burnt out. Like something is going to give in your life. Uh, We're not robots. I, I tell that to all my clients that want to work out seven days a week. I'm like, listen, either you can schedule in properly spaced out rest days now or your body's going to force you to later on. And you're not going to like the way that it forces you to do it. Like we're not robots. We need that day off. Um, not just from a physical standpoint, but like you said, from a mental standpoint as well. And I get it. It's tough when you're starting off, like you're just wanting to hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. But I promise you that what you're doing right now, content calendars, you know, figuring out ways to structure your, uh, your days a little different to get that one or two days off is going to going to pay dividends in the, in the end, it will, you're going to be, you're going to be a fresher coach. You're going to be, you know, you're going to have more enthusiasm because coaching can get, it's part therapy, right? Like, so you're, you're working with clients and it's sometimes, sometimes, you know, some clients are, you know, I hate to say it's a little bit needier than others. Right. And there's a lot more that's going on in their life and it doesn't make them any worse or any, any better. It's just the fact of the matter is right. Like you've got relationship issues that can affect their health um and nutrition and, and training you've got lost a job you know this past year covid showed us a lot of things can happen so you're, you're dealing with a lot of clients when you get up to a full-time professional level um, and if you don't take the time to step away for a little bit right all that is going to start bogging down in your mind and you're not going to be as good of a coach for each of them later on because you're going to be tired you're going to be frustrated you're going to be you know so on and so forth so I highly, highly recommend any new coach out there, um, you know, really work on your time management. That was something that I've always been good at. But, you know, I'm not going to say that I, I'm as, I was good, as good in the past as I am now. It's something that evolves and it evolves as you evolve as a coach, as you start figuring out what works for you, right? What days work for you to do client check-ins? What times a day? Uh, what other responsibilities do you have? Like, I have things chunked throughout my throughout my week. Like Mondays and Tuesdays are like heavy client check-in days. I'm going from like 4 a.m till about 5 p.m. every day. Um, but Wednesdays are a little bit wider with that then I'm able to do more potential new client consults. Uh, I'm able to talk to my clients because I do zoom calls and, and phone calls frequent you know fairly frequently with each client. Um, and I'm also able to chunk together content creation day, things like that. By the time I get to Saturday, you know, maybe I'll have some new client plans to write if I've got some new clients that signed up that week. Um, Or I have some clients maybe competing that I have to be available for. But if not, you know what, I put in, I put in a lot of hours for, you know, five, five and a half days, and I'm going to sit back, I'm going to enjoy the weekend with my family and get refreshed for, for an upcoming week ahead. So so you keep mentioning the contest
0: prep and usually they are Saturdays. They obviously fall in different days, but tell us a little about that prop process was contest prep, something you always decided to get into or, uh, tell us about your first contest prep client because I just got mine. So, um, yeah. about
2: yours. So, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've been, so I, I wasn't, I came from the magazine era. I'm that old. Um, I have loved bodybuilding from a young age. Um, I was always more into sports like basketball and baseball and everything. So I wasn't like bodybuilding, like into high school or anything like that. I lifted weights and I enjoyed it and everything, but I enjoyed always seeing the bodybuilders. So it's been something that has been a passion of mine for a long time. Um, Yes. I always wanted to get into contest prep coaching. Um, I actually went back in 2016 or 17 I was prepping for a show and then I got shredded, like shredded and just realized I don't have as much muscle as I, as I want. So I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't, I didn't follow through, but like, I I know the process. Plus I learned from one of the best prep coaches in the, in the world, right lane. Um, And I just knew that I, I've always loved getting people prepared for that because it's such a challenge. It's so, it's like competitive, almost like it's another form of competition for me. It's like each client I work with is a whole new, whole new beast. Right. And it's fun. It's fun seeing what little changes we can make and getting people prepared. And I've been very fortunate. I've worked with um, probably like seven or eight contest prep clients at this point. Uh, It's not the majority of my clientele, um, but I've been very fortunate to work with. And some of them have done like two or three shows, things like that. But I'm talking about different individuals and have had great results. Um, I learned something new each and every contest prep go around, especially if that client does multiple preps with me. Um, It is a, it is a huge responsibility though. And you know, something that I and with all my clients, all my clients health. I mean, if you're going to be a coach, like you got to realize you have, you're holding someone's health in your hands. Right especially if they buy in and they follow you a hundred percent, right? Like your, their health is in your hands, but no more so than during a contest prep. And um, it's something that I probably get more nervous for them than they do when they get up there on stage. Like, but through the whole process, I am very meticulous. I'm, we're checking in way more frequently. We're texting more frequently. We're doing all that stuff. Um, And I'm always, always in contact with them and, and learning like, Okay, what is your body feeling like right now? Like, is it something that maybe you should be feeling or maybe you shouldn't be feeling? And just that constant contact and communication, you know, allows me to feel more comfortable and confident along the way because I see it, I see coaching as a partnership, whether it's contest prep or, you know, just general health clients, right? It's a partnership. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have all the answers, right? I need, because everybody that we work with is an individual case. So you as a coach need to be able to marry evidence base with the individual and find a meeting place there. Science is all averages, right? Research is based on averages and it's it's a starting point. Um it's a very good starting point, right? But it's not going to be perfect for everybody. And I think that the more you communicate with people and and you're you are taking their feedback and actually listening to it, right? Um, I think that not only for contest prep, but for, for everybody else in general, it's going to make the process more efficient, right? And and when you talk with them and you explain to them, okay, this is why I want to make this change. This is, this is what I I think will happen. There's good evidence that this will happen. Um, they're more, they buy into the process a little bit more. And when someone's bought in, you guys know it's, you know, when somebody buys into a process, they are more adherent to it long-term. And if they're more consistent, more adherent, then you kind of figure out what variables might be affecting what and you can move forward. But, you know, contest prep is something that is a very exciting, very challenging endeavor for a coach. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that I learned from Lane as far as not cutting sodium, not cutting water, not using diuretics, all that stuff's not needed. Um, If that stuff's needed, you guys didn't do your job during prep. Like, you didn't lose enough body fat. Like there's, there's just, that's just the way it is. And some preps don't go well. I had a guy, um, you know, a couple of years ago who took second in an NPC open bodybuilding show down in Texas. Um, phenomenal shredded, huge dude. Um, we took a year off, came back, started prepping again. His body didn't respond well. It happens. So it's understanding that like you can do everything right by the book and still not have success. But if you are having that contact and that that communication with the client, really focusing on how they're feeling, um, kind of learning to read between the lines, because some, some clients don't want to tell you everything, right? So you learn to ask certain questions to read between the lines. Um, all that to me over the years has helped me be a, a more effective contest prep coach. So um, like I said, it's not my main forte. It's not like I brand myself as a contest prep coach by any means, but I think now that I have plenty of current clients and other people that have seen what I've been able to do with people that do feel comfortable coming to me for contest prep. So, um, you know, the best thing to do is just know what you know, sorry, that's the wrong way to say it. Um, Know what you don't know and be willing to ask for help. Right. Because I said, that's a responsibility. You got someone's health in your hands. I've reached out to Lane. I've reached out to other coaches. Like I got this, I don't know what's going on here. Like, this is not making sense. Like what's going on. And they're like, have you tried this? And I'm like, no, no, I haven't. And I try it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But the point is, is that it, you, you can't have this ego thinking that, you know, everything, right. Um, you know, one of the things that I pride our USF family on is that eight classes before mine, you guys, you know, we can reach out to each other and ask for help. Like we all have the same general foundation, right? You know, the, the Bill Campbell, Sam Buckner, you know, all that sort of foundation. We all have the same way of thinking, but you know what? We all understand that it's about a community. It's about helping. It's like, if I help you, Adam, or I help you, Chris, I don't expect credit. Like, I just want you to have a successful client showing. And I've had help from Warren Conlon. I've helped, had help from tons of other people. Um, when a situation doesn't really seem to be jiving very well, uh, and they've helped so I, I think that being willing to reach out and understand that you don't know everything um, I think that goes a long way in having a, a successful contest prep
1: Yeah, I totally agree and I think it's the, the coolest thing about USF man is like it's the hub for yes online coaches or you know contest prep power lifters because like you said you went to or you try to go to UF Georgia um, shoot I have some friends that even gone to UCF and I tell them what we do and they're like you do what? I'm like, right. yeah, that's what we do. And that's exercise science. It's it's that it's not I mean it is, you know, cardiopulmonary health and things of that nature, but that's just not our forte and it's really cool to kind of have a, a niche of individuals that, you know, we're about this life and again, we walk the walk and we don't just, you know, watch the YouTube, read the textbook, read the literature and we just say, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. But we've gone through our own experience and we have tons of case studies of clients uh, that we kind of have our our, our back off from what we're doing. So, um, but you mentioned a lot, right now, sometimes I've never had a prep client. I've never gone through a prep, nor do I ever think I will ever do that nonsense because that's (laughs) a different beast. I'd rather uh, objectively compete that way than, you know, subjectively flex a little bit. Um, that's just my forte. And I think that's my competitive nature, but how are you explaining to that client, either prep or lifestyle of, hey, you're doing everything right. We're just not seeing results. Maybe it's time to do this or go to this approach. Like, how are you framing or phrasing that so they ha- still have that buy-in and trust to you-, you as a coach?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question. The The truth is they're not always going to. They're not always going to buy into it. They're not always going to believe you. Um, you know, I, I think at this point, um, just with the reputation that I, I hopefully have – built on in a good way i think most people that come to me are like okay we've seen enough of his client results like let me trust him right but i have that i have that conversation with people up front like listen this is this is a teamwork all right um i don't know how your body necessarily responds yet i know kind of the general route that we should go but we are going to take this on a weekly basis and make changes when needed um not every change i make works out Um, you know, it's just the truth of it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, there's some things that, you know, you think might work out with certain clients and just don't work out. Right. But overwhelmingly, I think that if you, if you're open and you communicate with the client and just be honest with them, like up front, like, listen, I've looked at all the variables, right? This, I, I don't necessarily know why your metabolism is responding like this or why we're not seeing progress, things like this this is the route I would like to go. And, and why explain to them why? And I think as long as you explain to them, I think people just want to understand that, like they want to understand why they're trying to do something right. People are going to always be hesitant and resistance when they don't understand why. And if I, if I get to that point, I and I'm like, listen, let's give this a try. This is why I want to try this. This is what, you know, from a scientific standpoint or or something like this, why I think this might work. um, They're usually more receptive of it. And some people aren't. Still, still, some people aren't. That's just the nature of the beast. You're working with human beings. Human beings have their own uh, bias. They have their own preconceived notions. They have their own limitations in their mind based on things that might not have anything to do with you as a coach, right? It might have to do with stuff in their past, previous coaches that maybe were horrible or something like that. Um, you know, maybe years of yo-yo dieting, things like this. So there's a lot of factors that you have to take into play, but I think that the general rule I try to abide by is for me is I'm always going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you if I don't know why this is happening and I'm going to tell you why I want to try this route and, and what the basis of that trial is, is all about. Um, and if they're really not comfortable with it, then we find an alternative, you know, alternative route. And we try to work together and try to make some changes, but most of the time, overwhelmingly, they're pretty, they're pretty open as long as you explain to them the, uh, the basis that you're coming from.
0: Yeah. And I think you mentioned a really important word specifically, and it tied together with what you just mentioned as well about someone's past history is I'm reading a motivational interviewing book. That's sort of heavy psych based, but when you're work, not even as a, like a coach, like a physique or strength or coach or it could be any type of partnership. Uh, it could be your physician and patient partnership, these things are a partnership. Like as a coach, yes, we know all the science, but the other individual is the expert on themselves. Nobody knows someone better than that individual themselves. So, Those two things are, I think, extremely important for not only coaches to hear, but any future client of anyone or patient or helper or person getting helped, Um, you know yourself the best. And if you can be open with someone who's trying to help you for a positive reason, I think that's only half the battle. Um, Science can only get you so far. Someone's story can get you even
1: farther. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go a, a different route with all of that because it, it brings in a good segue. Um, right. Clients, like you said, they have their own bias. They have their own perceived notions and these like of that. Um, have you ever, I guess what a client wants, right? They want to go this way. Have you ever let a client do what they want to Like you've pushed that bias. Like you, okay, let's go this route just to show them, Hey, that was nothing that you needed just to go through that experience and have a learning experience to say, okay, Hey, I let you kind of say what you want to do now. Hey, let's be coachable. Let's try my way now. Have you guys ever done that? And I've done, I would say, I'll take it. I'll take the heat for a basketball coaching aspect. Like sometimes hey, like, Co- coach, let's go two, three, let's do all this nonsense. All right, let's do it. As long as you play hard, let's do it. We get killed. All right, guys, go man to man. Let's do this. Let's do it. Blah, 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 blah. And it starts flicking like, hey. And after the game, I'll tell them, hey, this is why we shouldn't have done this. We should have done this and things of that nature. Same thing for uh, a clientele. Mm -hmm. Like you said, David, I want to train seven days a week. I want to do this, this. I'm like, okay, if you want to train seven days a week, understand the amount of exercise or the amount of volume is just going to be super short for those seven days. We can do it. You're probably not going to like it. Why? Because it's maybe two, three, four exercises and the intensity is just not there. But understand, I'm trying to save you that fatigue. I'm trying to save all this, the negative aspect of what's going to happen if we just go hard, 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 seven days a week. Um, So I've done that um, just so they can go through the experience of, hey, coach, like this is just boring. This is not what I like. Let's try this. And so sometimes I allow my clients to almost do the job for me of putting them, I don't want to say in a dark spot, but letting them go through the experience they want to go through just just so that's not anything what they needed.
0: Adam, I completely agree with you. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to let some, if they're so adamant, as long as it's not going to harm them, I think it's okay to let them experience. It's sort of like a guiding coaching, like, okay, we'll let you do this, but I know, um, that we might have to take this route or this is going to be a good lesson for you to learn. Um, David, have
2: you encountered or what's your opinion on this? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that, um, Failure is sometimes the best, the best teacher. I know most of the the most valuable things that I've learned, um, not just in life, but in in my own fitness and, and nutrition journey is from things that I've, I pushed so hard on and I failed miserably at and realized this just doesn't work for me. Um, you know, there's, that's a, that's the other thing is that, what works for one person just might not work for another doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It just might not work for you. And then same thing I say with like food, there is no good food or bad food. The only bad food there is, is a food that does not digest well for you. Right. Doesn't mean it doesn't digest well for Adam or for you, Chris, but it might not digest well for me. So it's a bad food for me. But yeah, I mean, to your question, absolutely. I've let them. Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's see. And I never, but to Chris's point, I never let them get unsafe with it. I, I have in my mind, a place where I know whether it's calories or it's training or what it is that we're. I'm going to let them go, go on with a little bit. Um, I always have this, this endpoint. you know, it's kind of like poker like or, or gambling in Vegas. Like you got to know when to walk away at the top and you need to know when to walk away at the bottom, right? Set those, set those uh, boundaries for yourself as a coach and, if it's calories, if they want to drop really low well in calories, okay, I'll let you drop down to a point, right? We'll see We'll see how you get to a point um, if you're very adamant about it. But more often than not, you know, before we hit that point, they realize that it's not working. And I, I think that that is, I actually think that's important for humans sometimes. Um, we are... We are creatures that can justify anything in our heads, right? Take a dog. Dog doesn't justify shit. If he wants that ball, he's going to go get that ball, right? Like if he wants food, he's going to go get food. He's not going to say, oh, you know, I just had a bone like 10 minutes ago. I, I probably shouldn't, but animals just, they know one thing. They know what they want. They're going to go for it. Humans, we might know what we want, right? But if we start going down that path and it gets uncomfortable, we can easily justify our mind to go the other way. And I think that it's very important sometimes for humans. Um, you know let's just go back to the kid situation. I'm might have a kid here pretty soon, right? I'm not gonna be able to uh, teach her effectively if I don't let her fail sometimes, right? Now as a parent, like I'm not we're gonna let her be in harm. <laughs> never're gonna let her like do anything that's gonna hurt herself badly, right? but like, We've all we're boys, or, you know, we, we're men, I'm sorry, but we grew up as boys. Like, we all skinned our knees. We all fell off our bike. We all did stupid shit. You know, we climbed in trees and fell out of it, right? Um, <laughs> my point being is that I think that some of the best lessons that we've probably learned to this point in our life are things that we've tried and failed at. Um, so, as long as it's not going to put them in tremendous harm, or I have this cutoff limit, um, I'll let them try it for a little bit. Now, it doesn't happen that often. I don't have that many people that are like, oh, just, I don't I don't like what you're saying. I want to do this. I want to do this. Usually I tell them during the consults, like if you're this adamant about it, then we're not going to work together. Like we're, this isn't going to work, right? And that's why I do a lot of, you know, pre-sign up consultations because I want to lay out my expectations for the client. And I also want to lay out what they can expect from me as a coach. Uh, I think it's very, very vital to have both boundaries set um and explain to them right off the bat i mean sure you guys get client inquiries you know from people that are on like 1200 calories like oh, i just want to lose some body fat i just need to cut. you're not losing on 1200 calories what makes you think you're going to drop any lower and start now and but but you can't just you can't just tell them that over an email right like when you sit down and you take the time to have the conversation with them and you explain to them why i mean listen i, I had three new clients sign up this week all right um, two of them had plans in their head that they wanted to do, right? And I talked them into why those would be poor choices and why it's not gonna get them anywhere. Uh, and you know, we had 30, 35, 40 minute conversations and, and I laid it out and we, I listened to their reasoning, why I listened to their history and I explained to them why that's not gonna work. Um, and I, I provided them that value and that benefit and gained their trust in return. And that's the one thing that I think with, with a coach is you need to be willing to give if you expect to take.
1: I like that ending. You got it. I like that ending. Yeah. I I just, sometimes the
2: endings than I am the beginning,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no, I think it's working with individuals, especially with like exercise and health and nutrition, man, it's, there's so many variables that come into play, but once you have, like you said, that buy-in and all of that, it, it's 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 so much fun. Um, and you can go, you can literally tell somebody to run through the wall, and for them to be able to respond. How hard is like, hey, okay, but that's again, that's on you to do your due diligence. I think, like you said, setting the standards and. Uh, boundaries early um, and letting them know what you're about um, and say, Hey, if you're not coachable, then I, you need to kind of reevaluate where you're going. I think, like you said, I, I find myself a lot of the times with new client consoles is like literally talking somebody out of dying. Hey, let's just develop these habits. Um, and I think that's a good kind of question. And I think maybe way to end it so you can get out of here and enjoy the rest of your Sunday, but what are the type of habits that you're trying to instill um in your not in your contest, but you know you're just your regular general lifestyle clients because I think a lot of what people do, like they're they've tried everything. They've come to me, hey, I've tried keto, I've done this, but you're not again, you're not going into the 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 root of the all problem. So what are those habit-based things that you're trying to develop with your clients?
2: Yeah, so I think that um I love it when when people come to me and, and they're like, I tried this, right? I tried that, keto, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't get you anywhere, right? So why don't we try my way? Why don't we try something new, all right? I love hearing what people have already tried because then I already know, I already kind of know where their mindset is. I already kind of know what their history is like. And it's easier at that point, easier, and it's kind of, you know, that's not maybe the right word, but it's a little bit more efficient than to present your point as a coach. Like, listen, you've tried all this stuff, right? It didn't work for you. So let's try something new, right? Look, you came to me because you're, it's not working for you. Let's try something new. And as far as with the habits, that's going to be very dependent on the client. What, what are their habits that they need to change? Um, I think if I was going to classify it as a whole, I'm looking to change um, their mentality about food, their, their, how they think about food. Um, you know, I did, I, did a, I, think I did a YouTube video on this years ago. I think I did a post. I did a post though about how you think about food is going to affect how that affects your body, how it, how it affects in your body. Um, whether you take in too much or too little, whether you, your digestion's messed up, you know, if we stress about food, um, or putting on weight or anything like that, chances are it's probably going to happen, right? So first of all, I want to make sure that we are changing the mental approach to food, to training, Um, you know, for somebody that might be cutting back from seven days a week to five days of intense training and giving their body more break for somebody that might be going from nothing to two or three days a week. So meeting the client where they're at and changing their mental approach. Um, And also, I think the big thing, and this isn't just for women, I'm, I'm finding this through my years of coaching, it's just as big for men, but realizing that the scale does not dictate your worth right? Like it's a number on an electronic device. It it does not, it does not tell if you are a good person, if you're a good mother, father, husband, wife, teacher, athlete, it doesn't tell you that, right? It's a number on an electronic device that if you go to another electronic device, it might tell you a different number. So don't get hung up on basing your self-worth on whatever that scale says with that being say, said, I do understand that the number is is a goal for a lot of people. So I try to change that into, you know, let's, let's not focus so much on a goal or a, a number as a goal. Let's focus on how you feel, how you look, right? We take progress picks because there's a lot of times people will get down, maybe they're five or 10 pounds away from what their goal was, right? Maybe they had a lot of weight to lose. They're like, oh, wow, I look a lot different at this weight than what I thought I would look, right? I'm like, okay, great. Let's stop dieting, right? Like if you're happy, let's stop dieting. Let's stop doing that. So, uh, you know, changing their mental approach, um, understanding that their self worth is not tied up to a number and a scale, and then just figuring out for them specifically, like what are their weaknesses? What are like do they stress eat, right? Do they emotionally eat? What what do they do? And figuring out ways to um, structure meals and Maybe, maybe for some, pre- some person, it's not having certain foods in the house, right? Like maybe we work on that habit, not buying it, not even having it in the house. Uh, maybe for some people, we need to change the habit of just eating once a day to planning out three or four meals throughout the day, more evenly spaced. So um, a lot of it is from a, a behavioral and a mental approach.
1: Yeah, I definitely think the mentality of how you're going to approach this is the huge thing. Um, something that I always say is your body hears everything your mind says. So, man, you got to feed that thing positive thoughts. And if it's like you say, if you think you're gonna gain weight, you're gonna gain weight. If you think you're gonna get hurt, if you play like you're gonna get hurt, odds are you're gonna get hurt. So um, but yeah, definitely it's life in this journey, it is 90% mental, man. So if if you're able to switch that gear, man, you're in control and you can you can take over whatever you want or whatever your goal is and your passion is gonna be. So Absolutely. David, man, I appreciate your time, big dog, especially on this Sunday. Uh, why don't you tell our six listeners where they can find you and uh, where they can buy that book that we were talking about
2: earlier? Well, I hope this at least gets you one more listener. So, <laughs> uh, no, guys, I really appreciate you asking me to be on here. It's great to great to be on here and talk with you guys. And uh, um, So you can find the book on Amazon. It's uh, a shell of myself, and uh, it's in paperback and – ebook copy so um you know they're not they're not bankbusters so <laughs>
0: you can actually if you just type in shell of myself.com it'll pop up right on yep, amazon that's
2: true. So, yeah,
1: i mean chris why don't we uh, put the link in the description of the, the podcast as well so if our, no, our it's six it's listeners bad. want to get it they can go just click on that
2: Thanks. Okay. and then other than that i mean, in just uh, at mathis fitness on instagram and on my youtube channel david mathis so
0: all righty so those yes, three main avenues, if you're interested in having David as a coach, reaching out him for him for questions, anything, he has tons of videos. Um, I think it's over 400. Is that correct on YouTube?
2: No, it's, it's about 200, almost 250 now.
0: Okay, so he has about 250 videos. If you have a question about health or fitness, I guarantee you'll probably be able to find something close. Or if you can't find it on his page, just shoot him a message and he'll make a post on it.
2: Yeah, uh, most of my videos come from questions from
0: people on Instagram anyways. So. Well, there you go. You heard it. So send, send them more questions so you get some content um, that's geared towards you. He's here to help you. He's here to help uh, the people surrounding you. So
1: we appreciate it,
2: David. That's all the smoke,
1: fellas. All the smoke. All the smoke with David Mathis, man. Appreciate you, sir. Take care, guys.